Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you are here. We look at the Word of God together this morning, beginning with John chapter 4. We are back into the whole story uh, from Christmas to Easter. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although John himself, Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, which was given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who has given us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this, can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, yet there are four months, then the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So that the Samaritans came to him, and they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Excited to be back at the Gospel of John together, uh, but I've always had a fascination uh, with great literature. Uh, our family grew up on some of the great books, some of the great works uh, of writing. Here, here's one of our favorites uh, growing up that I, that I loved and that our kids have, have loved. Uh, it's on the screen right here. Um, there we go. A big dog, little dog. Now that's some great literature right there. Now some of you may not be familiar with the, uh, the oeuvre of uh, big dog, little dog, but Fred and Ted were friends. Uh, Fred was big. Ted was little. Uh, as we move on to the next one here, what we see here is um, Fred always had money. Uh, Ted never had money. Um, let's see here. The next one here. Um, uh, when they walked in the rain, Fred was wet and Ted was dry. Uh, and then the next one is that Fred's room was upstairs, and I always thought it was kind of funny. Big Ted, he sleeps in the little bed, and then downstairs is Ted's room, and then he sleeps in the really big, uh, long bed. In fact, uh, th this little story uh, is always kind of stuck in our mind, and in our family, we sometimes talk about a Fred and Ted situation, uh, when you see two people that are so completely different, two circumstances that are completely different than anything you've seen before, we're like, ah, oh, that's a Fred and Ted uh, situation. Now, the reason I tell you about this is because I just want you to know about good literature, uh, but also I want you to know about this because what we have in John chapter 3 that we looked at two weeks ago and John chapter 4 is we have a Fred and Ted situation. Jesus has two one-on-one -on -one conversations. They're two of the longest recorded conversations that Jesus has in the entire New Testament, and they are with two people that could not be more different. And it's Nicodemus and it's the woman at the well. In fact, I just kind of jotted down some of the differences. In John chapter 3, the person that Jesus speaks to is a man. In John chapter 4, the person that he speaks to is a woman. In John chapter 3, the person he speaks to is a Jew. In John chapter 4, it's a Samaritan. In John 3, the conversation happens at night. In John chapter 4, it happens at the noonday sun. In John chapter 3, it's a person who has carefully kept the law for all of their life. In John chapter 4, it is is a person that at least some significant parts of their life have been a lawbreaker. John chapter 3, we know the name of the person. It's Nicodemus. In, the name, in John chapter 4, it's just 
a woman. In John chapter three, it's a person who is esteemed, it's a ruler, it's a person of authority, it's a rabbi that everybody looks after, looks up to. <clears throat> in John chapter four, it appears that this is a person who's not esteemed, but has been discarded. In John chapter three, the encounter is intentional. Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus and says, I wanna have an appointment with you. In John chapter four, the encounter well, I put accidental, but we're pretty sure it wasn't accidental. What you have here is a Fred and Ted situation. Jesus talks to two people, and they could not really be more different, and that's the great news that we have this morning. In fact, that is the good news for us to look at this morning and every single day that we gather, and that is the good news this morning is that Jesus is for everyone. He is for Fred. He is for Ted. He is for Fiona. He is for Talia. He is for everybody in between. Jesus is for everyone. And the gospel wants to make that so clear for us to hear and to know and to experience. Now as we take a look at this passage of scriptures, we take a look as we kind of dig in for a few minutes this morning into this longest one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has recorded in the New Testament. I want you to notice some things. And they're really key for our discipleship where we follow the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus. I want us to see some of these things that Jesus demonstrates in this passage of scripture. The first thing that I want you to know is I want you to notice that the patterns of Jesus push against the broken parts of this world. The patterns of Jesus push against the broken parts of this world. Now, what I want you to notice and what I want you to hear and see in this passage of Scripture is that there is woven through this passage of Scripture some issues that we might even call some hot button issues of our day to day. This passage of scripture kind of deals with, with issues of race and gender right here in the passage. Now as I'm preparing the passage and I'm preparing to teach it and I'm preparing to preach it, I, I, I see these issues of race and I see these issues of gender and I, and I kind of say, okay Tim, don't get distracted by that. Stay on the main point of the passage. And there certainly can be an emphasis that the main point is how this woman comes to believe in Jesus. But I got to tell you, when you take a look at this passage of Scripture, and you take a look at how this passage of Scripture is written, it fully had the option and the ability to say, this person came to meet Jesus in this way. But it doesn't. This passage goes out of its way to slow down, slam on the brakes, clear its throat, put a spotlight and say, listen, watch how Jesus handles these issues of race and gender. Take a look at the beginning of the chapter there in verses three and four. It talks about how Jesus had to go from Judea to Galilee and it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Keep in mind that you all know the Bible stories that most of the time they chose not to go Samaria. They'd go around it, but it said that Jesus had to go to this place. We see here in verses nine and 10 that Jesus asks this woman for a drink and it says the woman is just shocked and says, how is it that you ask me? How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? And then just in case we didn't notice it, it tells us at the end of verse nine, it says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaria. 
this passage is not wanting to say, ignore that issue. It is saying, listen, pay attention to Jesus' pattern here in this place. When the disciples come back from town, which I think is kind of interesting that they went into town to buy food, I don't think that they enjoyed that errand. But when they came back, Jesus is talking to this woman. And it tells us in verse 27, it says, then when the disciples came back, they marveled. I love how often the word marveled shows up in the gospel of John so far. I think we are supposed to look back and say, whoa, we we, we need to marvel more often. But it says that when the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. (laughs) Now, sometimes the disciples are knuckleheads, but one time here they weren't. It says, but no one said, what are you doing? Good decision by the disciples at this point. You see, one of the things that Jesus does with the patterns of his life is he pushes back against the places that are broken and out of order and that are not right in this place. And what we have here is that there is a pattern, that there are places in our life that historically seem to be places where we continue to trip up. And particularly in the areas of race, and sometimes in the area of gender, we mess this up. And that's not the Jesus way. And that can't be our way. So what do we do about it? One of the things that we do about it is that we have to recognize that there is a long-standing pattern of getting this wrong. We have to see the fact that there is a tendency that we keep falling back into place, whether it be the Samaritans and the Jews, whether it be the Holocaust of the last century, whether it be slavery, whether it be segregation, or whether it be day-to-day racism, or even what I would call triggered racism. And what I mean by that is that most of the time we just all seem to get along really well. We're, we're friends with folks. We're, we're polite with one another. But if all of a sudden the temperature gets turned up just a little bit, something flashes inside of us. And so whether there's an incident in traffic or whether you don't like the way something happens in a store, or whether there's a conflict at a job, or whether it's under the pressures of politics, all of a sudden the niceties disappear, and this sharpness of disagreement over race just pops back up. And it's not always just race. We, we, talk, we talk with disdain about people from other parts not just of the world, but of our own country. We're like, that's a bunch of Hollywood. Uh, Those are folks from up north. That's New Orleans. What are we talking about? There is something that comes from sin that is buried deep inside of us. It's almost as though this issue of racism, differentism, whatever you want to call it, it seems as though we just continually leave that part of our hearts unlocked and Satan can just show up anytime he wants to. And he's been effective in it for millennia. And so Jesus goes out of his way to break that pattern. And he says, I'm not going around Samaria. 
I'm going through Samaria. He says, the first person of Samaria that I see, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to have a conversation with them. I'm going to treat them with respect. I'm going to treat them like, like my brother or my sister. We don't see it quite as harshly, but we see some of the same thing in gender as well. I don't know what's going on, but there are some churches in the larger church world that are having a time of it talking about the importance of putting women in their place. I don't know what they're talking about most of the time. I will tell you that the women in their place at our church is that we have women who serve wonderfully in the life of this church. We have women who serve as teachers in the life of this church. We have women who serve on the ministry staff of this church. We have every single one of our committees has women on it because we value and we esteem the gifts, the role, the calling, the image of God in every believer in Christ. I don't understand where some of this brokenness comes from, but I will tell you, it's latent all over the place. And it's been going on too long for us to say, oh, it must be just a coincidence. And so in this passage, Jesus goes out of his way to say, we're not having that. That's not the way that we live. Now this conversation, I would tell you that when we talk about breaking these patterns of race and breaking these patterns of gender, these aren't conversations about being woke. These are conversations about being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus breaks the patterns of the brokenness in this world. And he calls us to do the same thing. Now watch how he does it. It's not just recognizing that there are these long-standing patterns of brokenness, but there also is the commitment on my part that I'm going to live outside of those patterns. I'm going to live differently from those patterns just like Jesus did. So while there may be some long-standing, wide things that we don't necessarily have control over, there are things that my life has control over. I think sometimes we have to just kind of take a look sometimes that the people that I know best and the people that I'm closest to happen to people be the people that I look the most like. And that's unfortunate. That's a missed opportunity. I think just sometimes we just have these rhythms and these routines that, that have been ingrained in us. And so I would just say, be like Jesus. Have a cup of coffee with someone who doesn't look like you. Walk to a meeting, walk to class. Stop by somebody else's desk that isn't part of your normal routine and build a relationship because we want to live outside of the patterns of those broken places in this world. Jesus did. He emphasized it. And he calls on us to do that as well. Uh, secondly, I would tell you that the, the priorities of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus move to the, moves the focus to the spiritual. 
Now, we, we kind of get into the fact that at the beginning we're just talking about who Jesus spent time with, who Jesus was talking to. Now we get to unpack some of that conversation. And Jesus begins the conversation simply by saying, hey, could you hook a brother up with, with something to drink here? Hey, you've got a pitcher. You, you've got the ability to lower that into the well. Could, could you help me out with that? And she's amazed by the fact that this conversation is happening. And she says, why would you do this? Why would you have this conversation? And Jesus says, listen, this is a bigger conversation than you realize. Because I'm going to tell you not just about how to have water, but I'm going to tell you how to have living water. And I'm going to tell you how you can have water that you will never thirst again. And you'll never have to come back to this well ever again which I think that there's some issues here that were a chore that she didn't want anything to do with ever again. That's a pretty good promise. Can you imagine having a drink in 1978 and never having to drink water again? Be fully hydrated, never have thirst again, but have everything taken care of? She's thinking this is the greatest thing that I've ever heard of in my life. But Jesus moves the conversation from water to living water. Because as important as it was for have the conversation, as important as it was for him to get something to drink physically in that moment, what he wanted to do is he wanted to move the conversation to the spiritual as quickly and as importantly and as clearly as he possibly could in that moment. Now, this conversation is really interesting because there are some... There's some pushing back and forth because Jesus keeps wanting to move this thing to the spiritual and to the personal. And she wants to keep this thing at the philosophical and the impersonal. In fact, they, they begin to talk about this question of where he's supposed to worship. And they talk about all of these other issues. In the middle of that, Jesus says, go and get your husband. Now, she gives an answer that is the envy of any college coach, politician, or teenager uh, that you've ever known. Go and get your husband. And she says, I do not have a husband. And Jesus, you can almost hear him chuckling in the passage. said, boy, you have answered well because you have had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. Now, we don't know what that story is. There's a lot of folks that have conjecture, whether she is a person who's been divorced multiple times, whether she is a person who has had a series of relationships outside of marriage, whether she is the person who is the perpetrator of those things, whether she is the victim of those things. I don't know. I can only just tell you what is here. What Jesus does in talking about this need inside of her life he does not treat her with disdain in any way. He does not demean her in any way. He, he does not mock her in any way. But what he does by moving the focus and the attention of the conversation to the spiritual is he helps her to identify the needs and the hungers that are in her life. You know, one of the things that's really hard to know that Jesus is your Savior until you recognize that you have a need inside of your life. As long as you feel like I've got it all together, I've got everything in place, my, my life is, is the, the, the Hebrew is honky-dory, uh, as long as my, my life is all of those things, then, then I don't have a need for anything. But one of the things that Jesus does in this conversation is he says, listen, there are some places, there are some hurts, there are some brokenness, there are some places where your life needs 
a savior and needs an answer. Now, again, she wants to deflect. She wants to distract as much as possible. She wants to have a debate about uh, Jews and Samaritans. She wants to move all of these things. But Jesus wants to move the conversation to, this is what your need is. This is the offer that I give to you. And here's the moment and the place and the decision that you have to make for your life to choose and to be different. The priority of Jesus is to move the conversation to the spiritual. I would say we need to be reminded of that in our own lives that, man, whatever happens in this Christmas season, what matters most is what God has done inside of our heart. Whatever happens in 2021 and 2022, what matters most is our response to the things of God spiritually. No matter what happens in your personal income, whether it goes up, whether it goes down, whatever happens in terms of the structure of your family, whether it gets healthier, whether it gets harder, whatever happens in terms of your health, whether it gets better, whether it gets worse, whether it gets chronic, whatever it may be, what matters most is what God is doing in your heart and how you respond to that in your heart. The priorities of Jesus is not philosophy or debate or anything else. It is to move you to believe. In fact, we see that in the next item here, and that is the purpose of Jesus is to see people know him. The purpose of Jesus is to see people know him. We, we, we see this in a couple of different places. We, we, we see this as Jesus talks about worship and he talks about reaching people. Now in terms of the worship, this is the interesting part where Jesus begins to talk about, hey, you haven't had one husband, you've had five husbands plus the one you have right now is not your husband and Jesus is, and the woman says, I perceive that you're a prophet and begins to talk about this worship debate. Basically she says, enough about me, let's talk about you uh, in, in, in this moment. And, and there's this conversation of the, the Samaritans believed that the mountains that they were standing on was the best place to worship God because of the history of that place. And the Jews had no the best place to worship God was Jerusalem because of the history of that place. And Jesus says, man, I got great news for you. The time is coming, and I love what he says here, and is now here that you won't worship on this mountain or this mountain, but you will worship in truth and in spirit because the presence of God will be right here among you. And he says, that's what matters. And in fact, I love what he says here in this passage of scripture. He says, and God is seeking such people to worship him. About this moment, she's getting ready to see, whoa. And she's about to run back into town to tell everyone about the conversation that she's had. About the same moment, the disciples are on their way back. And, and they have brought the food and they're trying to figure out why Jesus is speaking to this woman. And so she runs back into town, tells them, listen, I've met this man who's told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And all of that community come to, come to find Jesus and meet Jesus and encounter Jesus and they ask him to stay. You know, we want to be like the disciples, just not on this day. 
Because I want you to know that every single person, well, maybe not every single person, but the crowd that this woman brings are the very same people that the disciples had just been trying to buy food for. And the disciples, when they went into that town, all they saw was places to buy a sandwich. I don't know how embarrassed the disciples were when this woman, this woman, goes into town and brings back that entire town and brings them to Jesus? Well, was there any thought in their mind like, oh, we could have done that? We could have said that. Hey, by the way, everybody, uh, could you hook us up with a sandwich? And by the way, the Savior of the world is out by the well. You ought to come meet him. The Messiah, the Christ, he's there. But because they had blinders on, they could not see it. And so as you read through the passage of Scripture, the narrative gets broken just a little bit by this conversation about the harvest. And even as we're reading it, it's like, boy, the narrative's getting a little bit long at this point. Maybe we can drop this section out of the narrative just because the reading is so long this morning. But it's the whole point. The disciples thought they were killing time when they were in Samaria. They thought they were there just to get lunch. They thought they were there while they were waiting to get to Galilee. They were trying to get through that section of the journey as fast as possible. And Jesus says, don't, don't say that the harvest is down the road. It's right now. Those people that you walk through in the courtyard, those people that you walk by in the marketplace, those are the people that you're supposed to be reaching. And I think there's a little bit that he says, listen, Right now, this crowd is right here. That's because of her, not because of you. You're riding her coattails in this moment. The reminder that Jesus is giving to those disciples and to us is that Jesus is seeking people to worship him always, all of the time. In fact, I want to kind of go back to the good news because I think this morning there's, there's, there's a moment of extra good news. And that is that Jesus is for everyone. And we get to tell them. And we get to tell them. Here's the good news. Jesus is for everyone. And you and I get to be the kind of people who tell that news. Don't you love to tell people good news? Don't you love to be the kind of person that says, listen, you got into the college that you wanted to. Hey, I saw so-and-so at the jewelry store. They were buying a ring. They didn't tell people the good news. You know it. It bursts. that we. I think you're getting that promotion at work. We, we, we know it, and we want to share it with someone. The good news, the extra good news is that Jesus is for everyone. And you and I, we get to tell them. So what's the application for us this morning? First of all, <clears throat> what you need to know is that Jesus is for you. And if you're here and you're sitting through another church service and it's more conversation about Jesus but you've never said yes to Jesus before. You've never had that one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. You've never understood when we say that Jesus is for everyone that it's talking about you. Then today is the day for you to say yes. 
In fact, I want you to notice that we've said that one of the themes in the Gospel of John is to believe. And this passage of Scripture tells us that the woman believed and then the people of the city believed. And they did not believe just because of what she said. They believed because of what they heard. And there comes a time that we move from knowing to believe. And so I want you to know that Jesus is for you, whether you're Fred or whether you're Ted, whether you're Nicodemus, whether you're the woman at the well, whatever your story is, Jesus is for you. I also want to just remind us that Jesus is for everyone. Everyone that you see on television, everyone that you see at the store, everyone in your workplace, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone at your school, everyone on the road, everyone. I want you to know that God created every single one of those people. And he created them because he loved them and cared for them. And he put his fingerprints all over them, his own image on them. And he made them part of creation. And he made them so that they could be part of his kingdom and his church. He intends every single person to be invited into his church so that every single kind of person can be in heaven. God's dream for every person ever lived is threefold. His creation, his church, and heaven. That was the plan. Now they need to say yes, but man, we need to tell them about it. You know, even there are some folks out there that think, oh, I don't know about them. <laughs> Here's the secret, we're the them. Remember last Sunday when Simeon holds that child and says, this is the savior for the, and he says, the Gentiles. I think it was a record scratch moment in that moment. They were expecting to say, the Savior of the Jews, God's people, the sons and daughters of Abraham. And he says, this is the Savior for the Gentiles. What? That's us. We're already the, really, them? Yes, that's us. So if we're in, everybody else is in is invited to be in as well. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for everyone. And I would tell you that Jesus is for that person. Because as much as we can just paint this really broad picture that says Jesus is for everyone, there are people who live in real houses, sit at real desks, have real names, one by one person. Some of those people are going to come to know Christ in 2022. Some of those people are going to come to know Christ because you had a cup of coffee with them, because you invited them to church, because you shared with them the difference that Jesus is making inside of your life. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus is for that person. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we want to hear from you. And Lord, we thank you for your word and for its message.
Now, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we seek to respond this morning in just the way that we're supposed to. We pray this in your name. Amen. As Johnny leads us in just a moment, as we have a time of prayer, I'd love to pray with you and help you to say yes to Jesus. If there's an individual that you need to pray for, that they would come to know Jesus, maybe you can just come to the steps and pray for that person. And if you need to pray for a softness and a correction in your heart. Man, I know there's people that see the world more harshly, but maybe there's somehow there's some softness that needs to happen in your life. Whatever it is, don't miss this moment to respond. Johnny?